Hello, and welcome once again to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the show that brings to you hot topics in the utility sector, as discussed by the leading minds in the industry, the very people who are transforming and modernizing the energy systems and the utility industry of the future. And a quick thank you to West Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central Podcast host and director with West Monroe, and I'm coming to you from New York City. As always, I'm joined today by the producer of this podcast and Energy Central Community Manager, Matt Chester, dialing in from Orlando, Florida. Matt, the energy sector these days seems to be going through a number of varying priorities for how to modernize and upgrade the power sector. But one of the most important topics has to still be customers and customers are being put through a lot. Care to share some background on this? Of course, Jason. So the economic struggles for Americans have become too common of a theme recently, starting with the pandemic and the fallout that came with that, but continuing here two years later as energy prices surge, commodities are strained because of global conflicts, and the bills these customers receive seemingly on the rise without much recourse. And so while inflation is one of the most dominant stories in the news, acknowledging that prices for everything seem to be rising, national energy prices are actually surging well above those inflation levels, increasing anywhere from 100% to 260% year over year. And according to their June data, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics confirms these challenges, reporting that Americans spent 12% more on their power bills in May 2022 than they did a year before. This problem, it's ever-present for customers, especially those operating on fixed budgets and in lower-income communities. Thanks for that review, Matt. It's truly a notable trend and one that utility stakeholders want to see addressed. So our guest today is joining us from Florida, just down the street from you, Matt. And while Florida may be known colloquially as the Sunshine State, it is actually more dependent on natural gas generation than any other state its size in the United States. And as utilities phase out coal and add more solar, natural gas will play an even more significant role for these utilities who need reliable backup generation. But as natural gas prices rise, this could spell more issues for customers. So what are Florida utilities doing to keep costs affordable while moving towards that clean energy transition? We're gonna hear specifically about Florida's municipal utilities as we're joined today by Jacob Williams, the general manager and CEO of Florida Municipal Power Agency. Our regular listeners will remember Jacob from an appearance on the podcast back in January of 2021. That was episode 30 called Keeping Municipal Power Affordable While Adding Solar, where Jacob highlighted these important topics and the unique role that municipal utilities had to play. It's obviously a complex and critical topic, so we're excited to welcome back to dive even deeper this time as his 35 years of experience in the industry serves as a well of knowledge, we're eager to tap into it once again. So Jacob Williams, welcome back to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Thank you, Jason and Matt. It's great to be with you. And fortunately, as you've laid out, these are a bit more challenging times as energy prices have rolled up significantly and natural gas prices in particular have rolled up, which means we're raising costs to all customers in Florida, whether they're served by a municipal or cooperative or 
and ILU, the state of Florida is just so dependent on natural gas. So it's a tough time right now. So, Jacob, let's set the stage. For the last several months, energy prices have been rising, as Matt pointed out. So how are these wider national trends impacting Florida and the typical Florida family? And can they expect these increases to continue? Yeah, certainly Florida, because 75% rising to 80% of our generation is tied to natural gas. Florida cost structure has moved up significantly over the last year. We're up 250%. We were as much up 300% in energy prices at one point for natural gas. So as a result, the customer bills are increasing. And so if you look at our member city bills to their customers, they're going to be up anywhere from 15 to as much as 40% year over year. Let's say the July bill when the, the peak pricing rolls in, rolls into customers. So it is a challenge for families. And the way we like to think about it is an average family is now paying about $4,000 more per year for energy, gasoline, home heating and air conditioning and electricity, et cetera. You know, that's tough. Couple that with, as you pointed out, energy prices drive the inflation in the country. And so the food and everything else has to go up because energy is such a big component of them. And so you've got another three, $4,000 a year in increased cost to a family for food and groceries. And it's a challenging time for customers in general. Share with us, um, you know, this dependency on natural gas. Share with us, how did we get to this point? With a state like Florida and its size in the Sunshine State, how did we get yeah. to this? And what are the trends likely to continue? Well, the trends we've been moving away, the state of Florida has been moving away from coal for the last 10 or so years. And that's in relation to as the shale gas revolution came in, natural gas was so low cost, essentially has driven the coal units out of the Florida market. Florida is so far removed from the coal fields that we're kind of the place you would expect coal plants to fall away because we've got to pay a lot in transportation costs to get it here. So the coal plants have moved away. There's about 10% of the generation in the state is nuclear. We're 2-3% solar. We're going to grow to 7-10% in the next you know five years, but the state has moved progressively more towards natural gas. The other thing that occurred, of course, is as gas prices got low, all the diesel units that used to run in the state, those are all backed off and and many of them retired. So we've gotten very heavy uh, natural gas in the last 15 years in Florida, and it's allowed the state to provide low-cost power to everybody. So it was a great economic decision at the time. Unfortunately, the energy decisions at the federal level have changed dramatically here in the recent couple of years. And all of a sudden, you've seen prices start to rise for some very fundamental changes in the market. Right. When we were preparing for this conversation, you had mentioned that the slogan Sunshine State is a bit of a misnomer, especially if you're living in Florida, you would know that. So for the rest of us who don't live in Florida, why is that a misnomer in terms of, you know, why solar isn't taking off and accelerating to the level that maybe perhaps it should be or could be? Well, a few good reasons. One is, as you said, Florida is called the sunshine state, and at spring break time, it is the sunshine state. Unfortunately, when the summer loads are here, every afternoon, most summers, Matt, you know a rainstorm's coming. The five or 10-minute hurricane, as we like to call it down here, because the clouds and the humidity builds up, and it's going to get cloudy and rain. So right at when loads are peaking, solar quite often isn't there, and the cloud cover comes and goes all afternoon and evening in Florida in the summer 
and summer is really June through October. So a significant period. We're not nearly as sunny as Arizona or parts of Southern California. So again, at spring break, we're the sunshine state, but not so much in the summer. We're 25% less sunny than, than Arizona. The other thing that you got to remember, Florida, while we're going to grow the solar, massive amount of, of solar growth is coming in. Florida does not have a lot of land available. And so we're going to have to manage this interesting situation of all the people wanting to move down here. Um, you've got Lake Okeechobee, the Everglades, you know, Cala National Forest, all these areas. And so you start to look around and you say, we've only got so much land available. And, you know, if you want to grow to the massive levels that they talk about in other parts of the country, you'd have to tell places like the villages to stop growing because the land won't be available. And so it's an interesting challenge because Florida is not a big state. It's thin and everybody lives on the coast and there's only so much land in the interior that you could actually build solar out on. So it's manageable. We're going to keep growing solar, but it's not the 100% solution down here in Florida. Sure. I was just going to open it up if uh, your fellow Floridian on the call, uh, Matt, have any comment on um, your experiences in the Orlando, the central part of the state? As soon as Jason mentioned that, I looked outside and I see the, the clouds rolling over and you can usually set your watch to the 2 or 3 p.m. storms here. So, you know, I, I'm in a townhouse, so I don't have, I'm not allowed to have solar panels. But if I did, you know, those would definitely always be a factor to consider. Yeah. Jacob, back to you, you know, at FMPA, you're speaking for small, medium and large municipal utilities across the state, not the major IOUs. So what are the unique considerations municipal utilities must take when looking to lessen the financial burden of these rising energy prices on customers, and what role does FMP play in those efforts? Yeah, it's a good question. Because we're owned by the cities, there's 31 cities that are members of FMPA, and we supply 24 of the cities, either partially or fully, uh, electricity. But the interesting thing is the rate-making decisions of what to charge is set at the city council utility board level. And there's very direct input from the citizens. They can walk into a city council meeting and say, my rates are too high, and they politically feel the pressure. It's different from an IOU where you go argue in front of, up in Tallahassee, in front of commissioners up there, but it's not, you know, local residents aren't going to drive across the state to go to Tallahassee, where our member cities get very direct feedback. So our members are focused to ensure we have low cost power. That is the number one driver. So with this challenging price regime that's going on in the natural gas world, they're looking for assistance in any way they can. And we've been able to deliver some things. And one of the things that our cities would say is we can't tolerate 30, 40%, 50% price increases. So many Floridians, Florida leads the nation in terms of the percentage of fixed income population with all the retirees, plus your normal low income population. So we have such a large population that really can't afford to have major fluctuations in their power bill. So those are all issues that our cities pound home to us all the time saying, we've got to manage this well because they're going to feel the brunt of it locally. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. So we've been talking about affordability. I'd like to move the conversation over to reliability. So how, how does reliability intersect with keeping costs affordable? And how is it FMPA and its members working to ensure reliable power for its customers? Yeah, we in the state, there's a planning reserves that goes anywhere from 15 to 20 percent reserve margin. And all the utilities in the state take it very seriously. 
we do the same thing. So we ensure that we've got plenty of reserve capacity available and have done that. We're actually in the middle of an acquisition of some more gas peaking units to further add to our reserves and to cover our new load growth that's coming online. So we're looking to acquire some new units, but it's something we all take very seriously. Obviously, if you go back to winter storm Uri in Texas, those concerns about what if temperatures got low in Florida in December, January, February, how would Florida handle that? We're doing a lot of work in terms of backup fuel, a lot of diesel fuel backup. We have several units that can go on the diesel fuel and limit our exposure on the natural gas side, but we do take it very seriously. And Florida, we can't fail in terms of meeting the needs because how to summer days, if you don't have electricity, that is not a good situation for Floridians. That's interesting. So let's explore that a little bit further because, you know, the movement is to move towards clean energy and you're, you just mentioned more capacity from gas generation. So, I mean, how are you balancing clean energy future and the energy transition with what's going on today? Yeah, the member cities have said we want to continually get better and we're on a path to, to essentially have a 50% reduction in CO2 emissions from the 05 levels by 2027. So we're going to more than double the amount of solar we've already got contracted for the next three or four years. That'll get us to 5 7% of our energy from solar, but we're going to be very much tied to natural gas and the gas units become all that more critical. We're going to retire two coal units in Orlando in 2025 and 2027. We're third owners in those facilities. And so we're replacing that capacity that goes away with natural gas capacity just because it can be responsive. So even as we add solar, we need the backup sources still in place, especially on a cold winter morning. There's no solar in Florida, and yet we could have our peak loads on you know, seven in the morning and on a January day. So you got to have all the generation just like normal, even if you had a bunch of solar. And again, as we talked about in the afternoon in the summer, our loads could be peaking out right now. But as Matt pointed out, the clouds are here, the humidity and heat are still on the ground. So nobody's changing their consumption, but the clouds have wiped out your resource. So you've got to have the gas units to back everything up. And unfortunately, it's going to be critical for the country that natural gas prices stay affordable as opposed to where they're at right now in the six, seven, eight dollar range. Yeah, it's a juggling act for certain states like Florida and elsewhere. It's not a, it's, a, it's somewhat of a unique problem that you're facing that uh, other utilities, say in the Northeast or Midwest or the mountain states, don't necessarily encounter. So, you can imagine it being a bit of a challenge. Yeah, you know, up in the Northeast, they've got their own set of challenges because you know their customers pay double what we do for electricity down here. So. You can't walk away from just say, let's just be reliable and skip affordability because, as we talked about before, Floridians use twice as much electricity per person as people in the Northeast or California because it's hot and humid. So we've got to be both reliable but affordable because if we're not, like the Northeast, our prices double what they, they are currently, customers would struggle and we probably wouldn't have 22 million Floridians down there. Right. Well, I'm going to give you the last word, but before we get to that, Jacob, we have something called the lightning round. And I don't think we had this the first time you were on the show. It's where we would ask you a series of questions and you have one word or phrase response. And this is an opportunity for our listeners at Energy Central to learn more about you, Jacob Williams, the person and not Jacob Williams of FMPA. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I am ready. 
Okay. What time of day are you most productive? Uh, generally in the morning, eight, nine o'clock, I get up and run right away or work out right away. So after I get done with that and then get settled in, that's the most productive time. Favorite way to spend a Sunday afternoon? Um, favorite way to spend a Sunday afternoon would generally, we would leave church and have our daughters over for a family dinner in, uh, on Sunday afternoon at the house. And quite often might end up watching a movie or doing something with them after that. But it's with my wife and, and our two of our four children who live down here in Florida. That's, that's our typical Sunday afternoon. Favorite hidden gem in Florida? I'm going to give you two of them. One is a very local hidden gem. We live in the Lake Nona area of, of Orlando, and there's a park just about three miles from one of the major expressways. And it's called Moss Park. It's in Orange County. And you think you're in another world, way away from all the tourists, all the hustle and bustle of Orlando. Huge oak trees, Spanish moss, an island where the birds have a rookery out there in the springtime. And it's just a beautiful park. It's actually an isthmus. There are two lakes that, that, uh, on each side. And so you, you run between the two of them. But that's only a mile and a half from our house. So we go riding our bikes down there all the time. The second place a little bit further out is Mount Dora, Florida. And Mount Dora is this unique little resort-ish kind of town that has actually topography. It has a hill, comes down, and you feel like you're actually in the Midwest at, let's say, uh, a resort town on, on Lake Michigan up in Mackinac Island or something like that. It has the same feel because you're, you're right up against the water. You walk around shopping district and all that right on the water. It's just a unique place for, for people to go. Sounds beautiful. Best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Especially for the current role I've had, uh, one of the best pieces of advice is when you're trying to get boards and people to make decisions, you've got to understand there's two important things. Number one is it comes down to timing. There's times that some certain solutions are not the right time to bring up because the group's not ready for it. And so you got to have both the right time and you got to have the right solution. And quite often I see people who they want to jam something through and, and you got to say, look, it's just not the right time, the right solution, but we're not ready for that. And in the last five, six years, I've had to manage that quite often. And John Maxwell was always a big proponent of saying, you got to get both of those right or else you're going to have a bad outcome with leaders are going to have bad outcomes. And it's, it's come in handy so often. And what are you most passionate about? what I do every day, love the fact of bringing low-cost energy to Floridians. We impact the lives of people in ways that they'll never understand. But if we do our job right, we impact 2.7 million Floridians in terms of, of giving them more disposable income to have a higher quality of life, to put into education, to do all those other things. So I'm passionate about bringing affordable, reliable energy to our cities. Well said. Thank you, Jacob, for those thoughts. We're going to leave you with the last word. If you're talking to your peers in the industry, what would you like to leave with them? I guess I'd like to leave with, again, kind of what we've said. We want to be able to provide affordable energy to our citizens. And Florida, it's so dependent on natural gas. And the thing I would leave with is this country has to come to a decision to have the political will to add gas and oil wells to increase production and to put more pipelines in the ground to bring the cost of natural gas and gasoline down. We have the resources in this country 
but we must have the political will to do that. If we do not, there is a lot of pain for all consumers in the United States, and it's unfortunately an unforced error. We are living in this generation's energy crisis, not unlike the 1970s. The difference is OPEC curtailed supply in the 70s. Today, it is the United States decisions being made that are curtailing our own production or not meeting the growing demands that the world is starving for energy and we could supply. So my plea to my peers is to make sure that, that all of the entities at the national level understand how important it is to have access to affordable energy because first world economies, they run on low cost energy. They don't run on high cost energy. Well, we much appreciate your insight and your thoughts and perspectives here. And I'm sure we'll once again have you on the show like you have uh, your second time graciously joined us. So thank you so much for sharing your insight. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the podcast real soon. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. You can always reach Jacob through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And we also want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsors that made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.